jumping right in. Romans 8. We'll be uh, finishing this, this up uh, perhaps next week. So James is going to bring uh, kind of some final reflections, maybe on Romans 8, maybe a little bit beyond. Um, but we're kind of finishing. It's been about 10 weeks in Romans 8. And uh, so we'll finish, finish things up this morning. After the fire truck gets by. Uh, Romans chapter 8. States once again, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Again, that'll be our kind of focus here this morning. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And what did he do? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let's pray. And then I... I'm going to redirect a little bit before diving into this text. Lord, we ask your blessing even now. Give us ears to hear. Uh, Spirit of God, we know. We know that there is plenty of deception. And we want to hear your word for what it is. Not hear your word for how we want to define it. Uh, We want to hear it from you. And so, Spirit, illumine it. Uh, shine your light upon it and give us truth this morning that can feed our souls even into into this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, In studying this past week, the Lord won't let me get away from this. I'm supposed to, I feel like I'm supposed to begin reading another text that dovetails into the text that we're considering this morning. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, they will be proud, they will be arrogant. With that, they will be abusive, they will be disobedient to their parents. They will be ungrateful, unholy. They will be heartless, unappeasable, unsatisfied. Nothing satisfies. They will be slanderous. They will have no self-control. They will be brutal, not loving good. They will be treacherous and reckless, swollen with conceit, want. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid, avoid such people. Avoid them. From among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. These are individuals burdened with sins, led astray by various passions. They're always learning. And yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. They know their Bibles. They know church life. They can talk the talk. They're always learning. They're even reading books, learning systematic theology. Never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That's a text that refers to the last days. That's now. The last days are now. 
It's not something yet to, to be. The last days are between Jesus' ascension and his return. Right now is the last days. And as Paul tells Timothy, these are going to be the dynamics of our experience. We will face these kind of troubles. People will be lovers of self. They will be about their own pleasure rather than being lovers of God. They will have an appearance of even godliness, but they will deny its power. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be going around saying, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't experience anything. I, I'm a Christian, but you know it really doesn't have any true hold on me. Or it doesn't even necessarily mean I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the spiritual gifts. It means that they're denying the power of God to be what God intends us to be. I'm comfortable just knowing I'm saved. I got a free ticket to, to Jesus. Don't talk to me about a, a journey of potential, a journey of freedom to walk in. Don't give me that. I just, I'm saved. I'm good to go. I'm just waiting it out until Jesus returns. That is what is denying its power. Have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Avoid such people. These are folks who will always be learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. I hope you realize, as a church, that James and I are contending, in some sense, for your souls. We live in a world of deep deception. We live in a world where our flesh can quickly awaken and actually, in different ways, take on these very characteristics, though we are saved, though we know Jesus. We are in it right now. We are in the last days. We are facing great deception, and we will continue to face great deception until Jesus returns. That's why, that's why we have to know Romans 8. That's why it, you sit for five weeks going over the same text. It is a diamond of truth that as you turn it, you gain more, you gain more, you gain more. You can't just go on. You can't just take it lightly. You can't just say, well, I heard that, so I'm good. We have to allow it to take hold upon our lives. We face incredible deception. And I, I, don't, I don't know why now God has just, it is like the last so many weeks, if not the last couple of months, he's continuing to burden, burden, burden James and I with these truths. And we feel something of God's holy jealousy for you. We want to contend for your joy in Jesus. We are not satisfied with just kind of getting by, just kind of, uh, you know, doing the Christian thing. We want your hearts full of joy in Jesus. We want your lives I don't want to hear any more from people in our church. You know, Dan, you talk about how God speaks to you. You talk about how you set your affections on God before you go to bed. I don't know what that means. He's not an idea. He's not black and white words in your Bible. He's the living God. He's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. That's why we can sing it, and we can sing it, and we can sing it, and it doesn't get old. Why? Because there's relationship that I'm experiencing right now with him. He's here. He's among us. He's working. Oh, I can sing wonderful Jesus again and again and again and again. And it doesn't get old, just like the angels in heaven sing, holy, holy, holy. And it never gets old. Why? Because they're before God. There's relationship. It doesn't grow old. It can't grow old. 
we, we have to know these truths, folks. You have to know him. And I know, and James was even mentioning this morning, we know when our hearts grow cold because we're not experiencing that relationship. We're grieving the spirit in different ways and God continues to call us back and call us back and call us back and take us deeper and show us more. And the reality is God is, God is ready to be experienced. He's ready. But oh, there will be so many in the church, outside the church, always learning, always pursue, always thinking about God, never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. That knowledge means experience, by the way. Never experiencing God. Go through this whole life doing Christian things, saying I'm a Christian, yet having no grasp of relationship with him. That's why we've sat in Romans 8 for so many weeks. Now, i got to get moving. What we've seen in Romans 8, especially those first four verses, Paul has already talked about the fact of being in Christ. Let's not forget this. Christ in you, you in Christ. That's what salvation is. That there is a death to you, self, although, 2 Timothy 3, many will be lovers of what? Self. What Jesus has made possible is death to self, so that, as Paul says, no longer I live, but Christ in me. There, there is such a oneness, such a depth of relationship that he's saying that, that now is experienced in Christ that my life is actually not my own life. What I'm living out is Jesus. I look like Jesus. I sound like Jesus. I smell like Jesus. People can't help but seeing Jesus in me. And so Paul then will highlight two particular aspects of being in Christ. Remember, it's position, no condemnation. That won't change into all eternity, 10,000 millennia. You will always have a perfect position in Christ. No condemnation, no guilt. But there is also a potential in this life, a potential of freedom. And as we talked about last week, freedom refers to being mastered by something, right? It has the idea of being freed from slavery. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, Adam and Eve. They lived under the mastery of Yahweh God, that he desires to co-labor, go have dominion. Well, whose dominion is it, actually? Well, it's God's dominion. He, he is over everything, but they get to walk out that authority, that dominion, with God. They co-labor with him. Satan shows up, they disobey, and in that moment, they're not just sinning. They're not just sinning. They are falling under a new master. They are choosing to co-labor with another entity, another authority. They choose the enemy. And what that does is all of humanity now is fallen when you're born into this world, you're born following the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2. You're not just born a sinner. I'm worked up. I'm not mad at you. Okay? I love you. And I feel really strongly about these things. So let me just feel really strongly and take what you can from it. Okay? This is mastery. You are born mastered by the enemy. You're born mastered by your flesh. You're born then condemned. What Jesus does is he frees us, giving us a position of no condemnation before the Lord, but also then granting us a new master to walk by, where the flesh self is put to death and we now live by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit now enables this 
pursuit of growth and godliness and growth, both in purity and in, remember, purity and power. He's growing us. And God has designed, as, as, as uh, Ephesians 2 would say, good works for us to walk in before the foundation of the world. He's already put this all into play. You're going to be saved. There's going to be freedom for you to grow in, walk in, walk in a new life under a new master. Jesus uses these exact words, by the way. Luke 6, when he speaks of the wise man and foolish man, he'll say, you call me master, master, but you don't do what I tell you. You say you know me, know me, but you don't do what I tell you. You don't dig down deep into the rock of ages and plant your life firmly fixed in him. No, you're still dabbling in the sand. You're still planting your life in, on the sand. You're trying to, you know, ride the fence, spiritually speaking. Jesus is saying, you can't serve two masters. You call me Lord, you call me master, master. You don't do what I say. And so the call of Romans 8 is to show us we got a true position in Christ, but now there's this spirit-led life. We're in connection to God. We get to grow in the things that God has planned for us, both in power and in purity. Now, we talked about a whole bunch of obstacles that get in the way, right? We talked about the number one thing, and this is the context that Paul is writing into, right? He's, he's pointing out the, the issue, the obstacle of religiosity, that people aren't growing in the spirit. They're coming and saying, I don't even know what it is to have that relationship that you speak of. We don't know what this experience is to walk in the presence of God. We don't know what it is. And part of the, the obstacle, the thing that gets in the way of encountering God and growing in the things of him is religion. Another way that we would speak of religion is legalism. Recognize the word, the term religion could be used in positive and negative ways. And so we speak of legalism. Anybody remember from last week what legalism is? Feel free to talk. What's that? Doing God's law apart from God's grace. All right. Doing God's law apart from God's grace. Sometimes legalism involves adding kind of those man-made doctrines and man-made, uh, we kind of, many of us grew up in that kind of stuff, where it's like, we're not going to only keep to the Bible, we're going to keep to greater rules to keep us from failing to keep to the law that God has given us. Right? It's man-made. But then in the end, it's, I'm going to do this apart from God. I'm going to do it in my own strength. Right? That just causes us to rely on the self. And the work of Christianity to truly blossom into what God has intended for us. Paul says, the law has been weakened by the flesh. What does he mean by that? Remember the illustration of the shovel. The law is good. Anything wrong with the Have you ever heard in Scripture anything being wrong with God's law? No. The law, as Paul will say, is good. It's holy. It's helpful. But if I could use the word self again, or flesh, is like a broken handle to the law. It can't actually leverage it so that it's producing holiness in me. I can't. The handle breaks. I can't actually cultivate anything. I can't stick the law into the ground of my heart and till it up to make it work. I can't plant anything. I can't produce anything. Why? Because the self, the flesh, is weak. So what the law has done has pointed out, I'm weak and I can't do it. But religion says, legalism says, no, no, you can do it. Just do it. And that's why many of us know by way of experience that legalism becomes bondage because it's motivated not by grace, but by guilt and fear. If you don't do this, you know what's going to happen. God's going to come after you. He's not happy with you. Right? We know that. Legalism is motivated, yes, by guilt and fear. 
I brought up another reality last week, um, and I told you I am thinking through this, processing it. Um, and sometimes I, I caveat conversations with folks by saying that, and on the flip side I say, maybe I shouldn't say that. Because right now I feel very convinced and convicted by it. But maybe someone will provide something to me that's like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. Thank you for the perspective. That was helpful. Secularism is the opposite side to me of the same coin as legalism. Remember what legalism does is it, it's a focus on the self to do God's law. Well, what does secularism do? Well, it's a, it's a focus really on a naturalistic view of humanity and it says, you know, we need religion to kind of have, it, it's not necessarily against religiosity. It, it has even a place for spiritualism and that kind of stuff. But it, it ha that stuff, that God stuff needs to be confined over there. And really the true issues of life are naturalistic. We need to get you balanced out. And we need to give you the right counsel and the right therapy so that you could use the tools within yourself to solve your own issues. We need to boost your self-esteem. Right? That's secularism. Both of those, again, let's do it this way. The focus is on the self. It's what you can bring to your life. It's what you can do for you. Whether it's in following God's law or following the therapy and counsel of the day. Let me remind you, is the law bad? No. Is all secularism bad? No. A lot of it is common grace. 12-step programs? I, I was like, yes, wonderful, good. But if you're using the common grace that is there to say, I must rely on myself to do this, you've failed. I also want to remind you, back to the law, the law, I don't, I don't even know how to quite picture this. The law is like the template by which you understand what human flourishing is. Like, that's, God is saying, I've designed you this way to follow this law so that you might birth into all the potential that I've designed you for. Does that make sense? His law gives us the guidelines for our potential. But even, even God's law can't produce it. Do you get it? The guidelines, the instructions can't actually produce in us what God has intended for us. We think secularism can do it for us, right? We think, oh, I needed that therapy, I needed this, I needed that, that's gonna help my life, and blah, 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 blah. God's given us a standard by which we can understand human flourishing. And even God's standard, God is saying, can't change you. It can't change you. Right? And it can't change you because, as Jesus will say, the law and the prophets are summed up in two particular commands. Love God, love others. Secularism and therapy can't get you to God. Neither can law get you to God. Neither of these can get you to God. But God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. You get it? God has done what secularism can never do for you. God has done it. God has done it. God has done it. God has done it. Now here's my fear for us as a Western church. I'm reading uh, Carl Truman's book right now, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And he gives an illustration for how we've come to the place that we are in our culture right now, where we hear things like, I am a man trapped in a woman's body, and that being law, that, be, that, that being truth for me. How, how, how have we gotten to this place? Where that's not mental illness, that is being true to yourself. How, how have we gotten there? 
Well, he gives a very basic, and there's far more, but a very basic illustration. How have we gotten to this point where, where self has become the authority and I get to determine for myself uh, everything that I feel about myself, right? That's the authority that I run by. Well, he talks about the fact that we used to be an agrarian society, agriculture, right? So you're farmers and that kind of thing. And so every farmer knows that you know, going and planting uh, seed is only one step that he can take, but he realizes that he's dependent on external factors to make that seed actually grow. I need rain that I am not in control of. There is a greater authority beyond me that is necessary to see my work actually produce anything. So there's a reliance not on self, but on some greater power beyond me. Authority as, maybe I could write it down here. Let's say prior to the 1800s, you know, a lot of farming going on, ag agriculture. Authority rested outside of me. I'm not looking into myself for these kind of things. We can't even ensure that crops are going to grow. Over time... Right? You move into the turn, early 1900s and following, you go through the Industrial Revolution, now we have advances in technology, medicine, science, all that kind of stuff. And so what it's created is not a thankfulness to the God who is outside of us, but it has left us self-sufficient and focused on the authority that I determine myself to be. Do you get it? I, I'm, not, I'm not dependent upon that rain to come. I got my own greenhouse that I've figured out all the science for how it works and how it's going to function, and I can have plants without having some God beyond like actually bringing rain into play. Science and technology has made us far more self-sufficient. It hasn't made us grateful people in the authority outside of us. It's made us self-sufficient people and still then focused on, well, what I think and how I think it is true for me. You figure out what's true for you. Authority doesn't rest outside of you. Authority now rests within you. I'm building a case here. And with that in our culture... Now, as I talk with the guys, some of the guys, Dr. Phil, you know, he's a good voice in our world. You know, Oprah fits into that. And, you know, spiritualism, you know, I, there's some good spiritualism out there. There's some good self-help uh, therapies out there. You know, so I'm going to take that wisdom. Uh, there's all kinds of different, uh, I don't even know how to spell gurus out there. Um, there's different, oh, oh, but there is the church. And I am a Christian, so there is Jesus, okay? And, um, you know, I like, I like reading my horoscope, and, um, you know, and, and even, I will say this, uh, I want to be careful. Um, in some of the counseling that I've done, where there is death, it is remarkable how many people resort to psychic and mediums or Wicca in order to connect to the souls of their deceased. It's a lot of pain. It's pain. But remember, there's only two masters. What our society has done, what our Western church has ended up becoming is this. It doesn't matter if I go to a psychic or a medium. It doesn't matter if I pick up some spiritualism on the latest blog that's come out and allow that to influence my life. Oh, and Dr. Phil, you know, he said some pretty good things. And, you know, I'm going to take that in. And, and you know, those self-help, I've read a self-help book on this and that and the other thing. And, and I've got this higher wisdom that I know I really need. And so that's going to help me actually get more productive in my day and make sure that all my time is figured out. And, oh, yeah, but, but I am I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to 
Go to church and Jesus is going to be. And what we do is we take all these different pieces from everything outside of us and we piecemeal something together, some doctrine for myself. Yes, I call myself a Christian. Yes, I follow Jesus. But who still rules my heart? Self. I'm determining what is right for me, even when it comes to Jesus. I'll determine what texts I really want to hear and other ones that I don't want to hear. I'll determine holiness for myself. I'll, I'll give excuses here. I'll bend the rules here. I'll compromise here. I'll watch things that I shouldn't watch. But, you know, it's just it's not going to affect me. You, what, all you're doing is piecemealing some sort of strange religious experience. But Jesus ain't on your heart. He's not at the center of your life. Jesus is everything. Everything. For from him and through him and to him are all things. He doesn't just get a portion of my life. He gets everything. And so many people are saying, I don't understand what this you're talking about, and I don't know why you're so passionate, and I don't know how you can sit and sing all those songs, and I don't know why you guys can do that kind of stuff. I don't know what you mean by having a relationship with God. That's because far more stuff is setting authority for you than Jesus himself. You are allowing yourself to determine what is right for you. And Jesus is saying, you call me master and ma master, master, but you don't do the things that I tell you to do. This is a major part of the Western church today. We have fallen captive to the deceit of the day, and therefore we are always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. We still are lovers of self. Well, doesn't Reformed theology give us license here and give us license there and give us license there? <laughs> it's not the way theology works. It's not the way theology works. Truth is to help us give all to Jesus, to be mastered by one and none other. And if I can enjoy certain things because he says, oh, child, go and enjoy me by doing that, then great. But if you're doing that, while calling yourself a Christian and knowing Jesus ain't pleased by it, self is on the throne of your heart, not Jesus. You're playing games. You're piecemealing truth together to define truth for yourself. You haven't been mastered by the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so you wonder, why aren't we growing into our potential? Why, 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 why do I hate coming to prayer meetings? Why do I hate that stuff? Why do I feel like church life is busy life? I'm just going to let that hang. I cannot be the Holy Spirit for you. I can only throw these things before you and say, all right, Lord, show us. I think for James and I, we've both come to the recognition that in part these things, these things are always at play within us. The things we take in, Jody, Jody has been a good partner to me. You said this in a message, but then you came home and you did this. What she's doing is not putting law upon me. What she's saying, she's being jealous for my joy in Jesus. <laughs> what a spouse. Yes. I'll take it. I know she's not against me. She is for me and she's leading me, saying, I want, you can be, you are the best husband. You're the best father when your joy in Jesus is being fulfilled and experienced. I want that. <laughs> 
and that's what we want for you. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. He has made it possible for us to know, to know relationship with God. It's conscious, experiential relationship. Not ideas, not black and white pages, not just mere doctrine that I learned, but true presence, true engagement. He's made it possible. No condemnation. God has done, and let's move on in the text with the little time we have. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Oh, my goodness. Let, let, me, let me just blaze through a few things because I'm skipping stuff as I'm going. The self cannot do what God intends for you to be and do. Let me just read John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Jesus says the words, these words that I speak to you are spirit and life. Colossians 2.20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirit, I died to the enemy's hold on me. If I've died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is it that if you are still alive in the world that you submit to regulations? He's speaking of legalism here. According to human teaching and precepts. Wait a second. No, now he's talking about secularism and philosophy. Don't handle, don't taste, don't. Here's all the disciplines that your life needs so you can be more productive in your life. Oh, he says, these things have an appearance of wisdom. This will look good. This will look good. But these... Have no value, not partial value, no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. So Paul will say in Philippians 3, he'll say, For we are the circumcision who worship, oh, so important, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory, that's an experiential reality, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You want, you want to worship in the Spirit? You want to glory in Jesus? Put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence, I have more. <laughs> and that's up. Paul's like, no, I got you beat. With all that fleshly discipline, ordering your life to something that you think is going to be good and produce something in you. Paul's like, I got you beat a thousand times. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted loss. Well, life is working for me right now. Why would I give this up? Paul says, I have considered it all loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count ev everything, everything, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing, there it is, knowing, experiential relationship with Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And here we dabble. Keeping that flesh alive. Keeping that self-authority alive within us. You want to grow the things of the Lord? You want to experience the presence of God? Kill self. Kill it. Jesus is everything. 
God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By, as you look at the text, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What has God done? He's given us his precious son, Jesus, who came in the likeness of sinful flesh. That is, he came not as a sinful person, but he came bearing all the limitations of our sinful condition. He came into all the temptation, all the turmoil, all the sickness, all the fallenness. He came into that. God sent his own son. By the way, there should be a contrast. Paul is telling us something specific. We are, as Romans 8 says, adopted children. Jesus ain't adopted. Jesus is God's own son. Not created by the Father, but sent by the Father. Jesus has always been, he is the great I am, right? From before Abraham, Jesus says, I was. There is no created Jesus. No, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, caring about in himself all the limitations that we bear in our own body. And what did he do? He lived a perfect life and then laid down his life for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. All your failings, all your inabilities, he sacrificed himself for as the perfect sacrifice. He, he did what we could not do. He lived the life we could not do. He perfectly followed this law. And not only did he follow it, he fulfilled it, which means this for us, it's important. Jesus says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. And then he ups it. But I say unto you, don't even have anger in your heart. He actually makes the law, if you will, more deep, more heavy to work. Knowing, us knowing, oh man, I can't, yeah, I, hands up, like I surrender, I can't do that. That's the whole point. Jesus intensifies the law as the one who fulfills it so you don't trust in yourself but you trust in him who came and condemned sin in the flesh for us. And not only does he condemn sin in the flesh, but even as the text goes on to say, now in Jesus, the righteous requirements of the law have been fulfilled in us. It's a status that we're given now. I trust in Jesus, and he's, he gives us this position, this status before the Father, saying, you are not only without condemnation, you are with all the righteousness of Jesus. You have every right to know God's presence. You have every right to have relationship with him. And not only has that happened, given you a status of perfect righteousness, but he gives us his spirit. As verse 4 says, that we walk according to. That's like Paul saying, because of Jesus, because you trust in Jesus, you have a status of relationship and you have a journey of relationship. And yet we can still say as those who have called ourselves Christians for so long, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh yeah, there was a nice encouraging verse here or there, but I don't know what you're talking about in terms of like the Lord speaking to you and the Lord Warming you with the fire of his presence. You, you see, that's weird language. That's reality. It's reality. He will baptize you in fire. That's not judgment language. That he's giving us the warmth of his own presence. And that's why Jesus in John 17 will say, Oh, those who will soon come to faith in me, let it be that they are one like we are one, that they are one in us. Like you can't get in any more intimate in terms of language, oneness, that's marriage, that you would act, that they would be saved in such a way that it's relationship upon relationship. Their heartbeat, their, the walk that they walk, the DNA that's in their souls is relationship with God. Relationship with God. 
relationship with God. And so legalism doesn't even become an option. I'm not looking to myself. Oh, it's, it's going to be birthed out of relationship to God. Yes, I will follow a law. Yes, I will pursue holiness. But it's going to come out of relationship. And when we don't have relationship, we're right back to where we started. Well, I think I can do this on my own. Stop, stop, stop. What God puts out to us, he's not hard to find. He just says, come and surrender. Surrender, surrender self. Die to self that you might live in relationship to me. And when you live in relationship to me, I will enable in you a holiness, a purity, and a power that I designed you for. From the acorn to the oak tree. This is what God puts out before us. I want to transition. You want to come up here um, for music? Any of the folks who are participating in music? We're going to do uh, communion together. I want you to turn, if you got your Bibles, turn to Luke 14. Luke 14. We're going to take the Lord's table, and I'm not going to give a whole lot of I'm not going to give a whole lot of talk on who should take the table and who shouldn't. I think we, we, we know. We understand those things. But I want to challenge you with this. As you grab the elements in just a moment and we take the Lord's, participate in the Lord's table together, I, I just... I want you to hear this because it's not as though God's not calling to you. He's calling to you. He wants relationship at deeper levels than you could probably hope or imagine for. But I want to challenge you with Luke 14. If it hasn't already been. I hope, I hope my tone comes across. I love you enough to say hard things. I tell my kids all the time, I, I'm going to say very hard things to you. But I love you. I will not let you become a fool. I will not let you be a fool. So Luke chapter 14 Verse 15, when one of those who reclined at, at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet, invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame." Jesus is gentle and he is lowly. And he never stops releasing invitation. We may know him, but he never stops releasing invitation. He consistently says, come to me, 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 come to me. Let's go deeper, let's go deeper, let's go deeper, let's go deeper. Let's, let's, let's cut out all the clutter, let's remove all the boulders, let's, let's remove all the second masters in your life. And let's have relationship together. Come to me. As we take the elements uh, this morning, and as we sing, I'm going to ask that you just grab the elements and take them on your own. But as we sing and you take the elements, I, I, 
Let, let it be. Lord, I'm, I'm, I am re-surrendering. Surrender is not just some grand, well, I, you know, I went to Christian camp as a young youth and I surrendered my life to him. Are you kidding? Surrender is a daily activity. It's not even a Sunday activity. It's a daily activity. We surrender again and again, saying, Lord, I'm giving you my time. I'm responding to your call to come. Nothing else can set the priority in my life but you. Nothing else can get in the way. You must be everything for me. You must be everything. So I'd encourage you, let's surrender whatever, as the text says, excuses. But whatever it is, whatever it's like, whatever self is still having a place of stay upon the throne of your heart. It's time to surrender those things to Jesus and say, Jesus, you must be everything for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Jesus has made it possible. So I come. I come at his invitation to receive him again and to surrender the extra clutter in my heart. So let's go ahead. Feel free to, there's two tables in the back. Grab the elements as we sing. Take those elements on your own. Just lay yourself before the Lord.
dismiss, I want to read to you guys uh, from Ephesians chapter 3. This is not that we're on the level of Paul. I'm not saying that. But this is the cry of mine and Dan's hearts for you. For this reason, we bow our knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, each and every one of you, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, you guys in here, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to that power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you guys. If you need prayer ministry, please come ask for it and don't leave. <laughs>